All right, we're back in Philippians. Book of Philippians is all about joy. We've talked about it last week. Last week we talked about how to have more joy in our relationships. Good study on just having more joy in our relationships. Today we're going to look at how to have more joy based on Paul's teaching in our circumstances. Joy in our circumstances. I, 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 I just titled the message Joy in Our Circumstances, but I thought about titling it How to Have Joy When Life is a Pain. And you know, some of you say, well, life's not a pain for me. I'm doing great, Pastor John. Well, just hold on. <laughs> just hold on. Hold on. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation or troubles. But take heart, John 16, 33, take heart, because I've overcome the world. Jesus said, too, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. But again, he said, part of the package of a cursed, sin-tainted world is you're going to have some tribulation. If you've got a pulse, this message is for you. Because you're going to have some tribulation in this world. And we, we, we drew the lines last week. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on what? Happenstance, which is your circumstances. And when your circumstances are tough, you don't have that happenstance happiness all the time. But you can still have joy. Because joy is based on what? Your heart. It's not based on the external. It's based on the internal. And that's why Paul could say later in this letter, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And that's why Paul could say in that same chapter, chapter, chapter 4, verse 11, he goes on and says, I'm not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content. And whatever, there's our word there, whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live with prosperity. In any and every, there it is, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then one of my life verses, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. See what Paul's saying there? I've learned a secret. I've learned a secret, whatever circumstance I'm in, to be content and to have joy and to be able to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So we're going to learn from Paul. And let me tell you something. Paul was not an armchair expert. He wasn't teaching this stuff about joy from an ivory tower. Remember Paul's circumstances that he was in when he was writing this book of Philippians. He was in a Roman jail cell awaiting a possible execution by Nero, and circumstances before that weren't real good either. If you remember, Paul was in the book of Acts. He was in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem they, they, they falsely accused him of stuff, arrested him, and then there was a whole army of 40 men, Jewish men that were against him that made a vow that said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul, assassinate him. They had to rush Paul out of Jerusalem, and then they brought him to a place called Caesarea. I've been there. It's on the Mediterranean, and, the, and I've been to the hole in the ground that they put Paul in that they think was the actual place where Paul stayed for two years. It was like a hole in the ground for two years. And then after that, he appealed to Caesar, and then they brought him to Rome, and on the way to Rome, he had a shipwreck. Right? Some of you are too young to even know what I'm doing there. Gilligan's Island, right? And he ended up on an island called Malta. And as he was on this island called Malta, he's grabbing a stick for the fire, and he gets bit by a poisonous snake. I mean, things weren't exactly great for Paul. But he was healed, and he got a chance to lead the governor of the island of Malta to Christ. And then he ended up in Rome... And now he's chained to two Roman guards 24 hours a day awaiting Nero, who wasn't known for his niceties for Christian, to Christians. He's known for killing Christians. 
So the circumstances Paul was in was not great. It wasn't happenstance. It was not great. But Paul writes this letter now of Philippians 15 times in four short chapters. He talks about joy, 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 joy. Even though his circumstances, to be honest with you, his circumstances were bad. But he had joy. He had joy. So I think we can learn from Paul a little bit. Amen? We can learn a little bit how to have joy no matter what our circumstances are based on what Paul's going to teach us. We're going to, get, we're going to look at four things this morning that will help us to have joy no matter what our circumstances are. Let's jump right in. Chapter 1, verse 12, we left off. And if you're there, say amen. amen. Here we go. It says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, again, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorium Guard to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, you need to understand, Paul's letter to the Philippians had a, a couple of purposes, actually three main purposes. The first purpose was it was a thank you letter. Paul was writing this letter because the Philippians had given them a gift in Rome to support Paul's ministry while I was in Rome. And so Epaphroditus brought the gift to Paul, and now Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter, basically saying thank you. We'll see that in chapter 4. Paul thanks them for their great, their great gift in supporting his ministry. But there's another reason why Paul wrote this letter. And that was, that was there were some problems in the church. There was two sisters, Judea uh, 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 and, it's not, it's, I wish they had names like Sally and Jane. But, <laughs> but anyways, there's two sisters in the church. And they were at each other's throats. And Paul is basically teaching them the ports of unity in this letter too and getting over it and having harmony and unity. But there's another reason why Paul wrote the letter. The other reason why Paul wrote the letter is this, is there was people, like in Philippi and other places, that were questioning, why was Paul in prison? This great apostle, this guy that had started Christianity through the whole Roman Empire, now stuck in a prison, well, he must have done something wrong. It must be God's judgment. And that's what Paul's enemies were actually saying, that he did something wrong, and that's why he's ended up in prison. And so Paul writes this letter explaining his circumstances, and what he's saying here, there's a reason for me being in this prison. And the reason, go back to our verses, he goes back to, in verse 12, he says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. The word greater progress is literally translated in the Greek, is the pioneering of the gospel. Paul had never been to Rome before. And now he had an all expense paid trip to Rome. Free room and board, right? Not in the best of circumstances, but Paul saw this as providential and under God's sovereignty that he's in Rome now, and he's chained to, 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 to the Praetorium Guard. Now, the Praetorium Guard, you need to understand, they were the Navy SEALs of the Roman Empire. They were the elite. They were the bodyguards for Nero and for the, for the uppity-ups in the Roman palace. And when there was somebody important like Paul that was arrested and put in prison, what they would do is they'd take two of these Roman guards. And by the way, the Praetorium was up to 9,000 palace guards by the time Paul was in this situation. So there's 9,000 of them. And they're in and out of the palace all the time, bodyguards, but also they were chained to important prisoners. And so every four hours, Roman guards would come in and there'd be a new shift. Two guys chained to Paul. And guess what Paul did as he's chained to the two Roman guards? I'm writing this great book on joy. Hey, you guys want more joy? Get saved. And I can imagine after four hours, just the greatest evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists ever lived, one of the greatest missionaries ever lived, just leading. 
Roman guard after Roman guard after Roman guard after Roman guard to Christ. And then it says after verse 12, the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause, verse 13, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorium guard to everyone else. Interesting. We know from history that Nero, again, was a Christian persecutor, killed thousands and thousands of Christians. Nero did. But Nero's son, according to history, came to Christ during this time period. And the whole gospel had infiltrated the palace, which was the premier city of the world. All, all roads led to what? Rome. And now Paul's infiltrating the uppity up, the, the palace guard, and the whole palace with the gospel of Christ, because he's there in those circumstances. Interesting also, there was a, Paul also saw the upside of this. Go, go to verse 14, when he says, And that most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul also said, not only are people getting saved all throughout the Roman guard and through the palace, but also there's other Christians that are seeing my courage in these circumstances, and what's it causing these other Christians to be? Courageous. And bold witnesses for Christ too. By the way, church, you need to understand, the Bible says this, iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. And when you're courageous and you're witnessing for Christ, other people see that and they're inspired by that and they'll start being more courageous and they're witnessing for Christ too. The guy that led me to Christ, Bruce Barkley, I'll never forget the guy. Because not only was he bold and witnessing to me, anybody he'd meet, he'd tell about Christ. I remember standing in a line, I've shared this before, but standing in line in a movie theater after I got saved, at Lake Theater on Chicago Avenue in Chicago with Bruce Barkley, and as we're standing in line, the person in front of us, the person behind us, he's telling them about Jesus before we go to the movie. I'm going, that inspired me. And one of the reasons why I love leading people to Christ is because the guy that led me to Christ was so courageous and set an example for me, and it spurred me on to be evangelistic also. Amen? As iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another. And Paul says, because of my imprisonment and my boldness, there's other Christians now that are being bold and courageous in their witness also. Hey, so first principle for having joy in our circumstances, very important. And Paul's the model example of this. We want to join our circumstances. We need to trust in God's purposes and plans in the midst of whatever circumstances we're in. God's in control. God's sovereign. God's got a plan. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for calamity, but to give you a what? Future and a hope. And Paul now in Roman prison cell is living out what he told the Romans. Romans 8, 28, God causes some things. Is that what he said? What did he say? God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so if we want more joy, no matter what life throws at us, we need to understand God's in control. He's still on the throne, even when life is tough. And he's got a purpose and a plan for the circumstances we're in, and it's for his glory and for the furtherance of his kingdom, oftentimes the circumstances we face ourselves in. Again, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. One of my heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. Great example of what I'm talking about here. Her circumstances from age 16 on were extremely difficult. She jumped in off a raft in a lake when she was 16 and hit a boulder that she didn't know was under the water. She's been a paraplegic for over 50, or quadriplegic for over 50 years. It's amazing she's lived 50 years. Most people that don't have any movement from the neck down don't live 50 years in that kind of state. But she has. And because of her trust in God's providence in her situation, she's had a worldwide ministry that's helped tens of thousands of people that are handicapped because she goes all over the world 
And she says, hey, no matter what your handicap is, if you trust God and God's purposes, he can use you for his kingdom and his glory. And she's inspired, I think, probably millions of people because she's applied this principle of Paul. When your circumstance, trust in God's purposes and plans. I, actually, Johnny Aristotle, one of the things she says is, my greatest pulpit has always been my wheelchair. Because she's able to speak from her handicap into people's lives and trusting God's purposes and God's plan. So the first thing, you want more joy in your circumstances? Trust in God's purposes and plans, that he has a future and a hope, that he's working everything out for the good, no matter what you're facing. And if you face it with faith, ultimately you can be a witness for the kingdom of God in your circumstances. And that might be why God's got you where he's got you. Amen? And then Paul goes on. <laughs> and then after he says his circumstances are for kingdom purposes for the word of God and for the gospel. Verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from, this is verse 15, from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause my distress and my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this... What does Paul say? There's our word. I will rejoice. I'll have joy. And then he says, yes, I will rejoice or have joy, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will put to shame, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's what's happening kind of referred to it in the purpose of the letter, is there was enemies out there, people that were against Paul, and they were saying, Paul's in prison for a reason. God's judgment's on him. Don't follow Paul's leadership anymore. Follow our leadership. And they were, yes, they were preaching the gospel, but they were saying negative things about Paul's ministry. And that Paul's in prison for a reason because of God's judgment or something upon his ministry and his life. But look what Paul's attitude is with these critics and these people that were really condemning him and had their, really their foot on his throat when he was down. What was Paul's attitude? He says, what then? Literally translate, you translate in the Greek. So what? I like that. Paul's attitude was, hey, I don't care if these people are saying negative things about me. It's not about me anyways. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though they have bad motives, they have selfish ambition, they don't have the right heart in what they're doing and condemning me, they're preaching the gospel. And because they're preaching the gospel, Paul says, people are getting saved. Do you know that people could preach the gospel with wrong motives? You know that people could have ambitions and other things going on as they're preaching the gospel? And, and, but you know what? God can use even people with wrong motives to lead other people to Christ. I think about the late 80s when I started the ministry. It was a tough time to start churches at that time because there was all kinds of chaos going on with the Christianity within the United States at the time. I don't know if you remember the late 80s or not, but there was all these televangelists that were just doing crazy things with wrong motives. We had Jim Baker with the Praise the Lord Club. And then we had Jimmy Swaggart with the mess that he got himself into. But it's interesting because I've been watching some old film casts on some of the Christian stations of some of these guys and you know that even though they had wrong motives, even though they were messed up with, you know, greed and everything else, a lot of people got saved through their ministries. You know why? Because the Word of God doesn't return empty. And God even used a donkey in the Old Testament to speak for him. I remind myself of that often. 
And the King James Version doesn't call it a donkey. <laughs> All right? And God could use anybody, even when people with wrong motives. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, so what? doesn't matter if they're condemning me or criticizing me or be on my case, because it's not about me. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as long as the gospel's getting out, so what if they're condemning me or, or, or they're against me? Here's the second principle for having, for having joy, no matter what your circumstance is. Be a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. Don't live for man's approval for you. Live for God's approval. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, whether at home or absent, our goal, our ambition is to what? Pleasing to him. That's the orientation we're going to have. Because sometimes, listen, sometimes when our circumstances are tough, there'll be people that in the tough circumstances you are, they'll put, they'll, 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 put, they'll put their foot on your neck while you're down. They'll kick you while you're down. And if you want to have joy no matter what, even when people are criticizing you in the midst of your tough circumstances, realize you're not living for those people's approval anyways. You're living for God's approval. You're not living to please people and have them say nice things about you. You're living to lead people to Jesus Christ. Amen? And the fun thing about getting old, one of the fun things about getting old, there's a, a lot of things about getting old that ain't fun. Some of you are saying, amen, John. But one of the fun things about getting old is the older you get, the more you realize it doesn't matter what people think. The older you get, you have what Paul's attitude is, what then? So what? If they say negative things about me, it doesn't matter. Because I'm not living to please people, I'm living to please God. One of my favorite movies, it goes back to the early 80s, is um, uh, Chariots of Fire. And it's about this missionary called Eric Little who's called to China. He's a pastor, he's a missionary. He was called to China to be a missionary there. And by the way, he ended up going, after the Olympics, he ended up going to China, being a great missionary there, and then dying, I, I believe, uh, a martyr's death in China as a missionary. But before he went to China, God had called him to be in the Olympics and to run. And he had a sister who was a very sincere, devout Christian, too, that was just giving him the hardest time about this running thing, because it was just for fun and a waste of time, and you're supposed to be in China being a missionary. And so there's a scene in this movie. Let me, let's just, just, just humor me, and let's watch just this little scene. It shows the, uh, Eric Little running, and then it shows his interaction with his sister, where he's saying to his sister, basically, I'm living for God's pleasure. I'm living to please God. And that's the point I'm trying to get across here. You want more joy in your life? Live to please God and not to please man. So as his sister's giving him a hard time. By the way, it's, it's part of sibling things sometimes to give each other a hard time, isn't it? So this sister is giving him a hard time about not going to China immediately before the Olympics. So let's see what happens here. And then we'll see the scene of the running, and then we'll see the scene of his interaction with his sister. In our hearts and wings on our heels.
decided. I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, <laughs> oh so pleased. I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty there, but like... Give me some lights again. There we go. But do you see what he was saying there? We were saying, he was saying that, hey, I'm going to go to China. That's God's purpose. It's God's plan. But ultimately, I live for God's pleasure. And part of what God's calling me to do, too, is to run Olympics and be a witness in these Olympics. And he was, by the way, he was an incredible witness in those Olympics because of choosing to please God and not just go with what man was trying to give him to do. So let's go on now. So first point, join our circumstances, number one. Trust in God's purposes and plans, even if it's not working out the way you want. Trust in God's purposes and plans. He's got a purpose for whatever circumstance you're in. Number two, live to please who? God and not man. Amen? Amen. And then let's go on. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses in Philippians, verse 21. If you're there, say amen. amen. Paul says this, for me to live is Christ, and to die is and then he says, but if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for all your progress and join the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through me coming to you again. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, for me, my life, what my whole life is about, is Christ. And what I'm living for is Jesus. But because I'm living for Christ, to die is what? Gain. Now, Paul had an advantage on us. 2 Corinthians 12 tells us that Paul had been to heaven. He had been out of his body, after a stone probably outside the city of Lystra, out of his body and brought to the third heaven. And he experienced things, according to 2 Corinthians 12, that were inexpressible, right? And so Paul had a little bit of advantage on us because he, he knew with certainty where he was going because he experienced it already. And so Paul says, hey, for me to live, it's Christ. My whole life's about Jesus. But Philippians, you need to understand, I know too, to die, to die is gain because I've been there. And then he says this to the Philippians. He says this. He says, and by the way, I'm hard-pressed in this thing because I want to depart right now. The word depart there is an interesting word. It means to pull up the anchor and set sail. It could also be to pull up the tent stakes and take down your tents. And that's appropriate because Paul would go on to the Corinthians and he would say this, 2 Corinthians 5 uh, verse 1, he would talk about this tent that we're in. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with the hands, what? eternal 
in the heavens. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I'm hard-pressed, Paul says, because honestly, I'd rather pull up my tent stakes right now and get on with it and get to heaven, the place that Jesus called paradise, and get back to this place where I was experiencing things that were inexpressible. But Paul says, but I understand, I understand, I'm probably going to stay back here for your sake and for the furtherance of the gospel because you still need my discipleship and my leader, my leadership as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying here, the third thing that if we want our circumstances uh, to have joy no matter what they are, we need to be people that have an eternal perspective. They have the perspective of Paul. And the eternal perspective is this. Hey, for me to live is Christ, but ultimately I know because I'm living for Christ to die is gain. You know why that's important in having joy? Because if you keep the eternal perspective, no matter what life throws at you, including death, the, for the Christian, the best is yet to come. Why? Colossians 1.27 says, because Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. We're told by Jesus, you know, believe in God, believe also in me, in John chapter 14, and I'm going, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he was a great carpenter and a great creator of the, everything around us. Can you imagine the place that Jesus has prepared for us the last 2,000 years? Amazing. And so, when the circumstances are tough, we got to get away from the circumstance and back our eyes on heaven and remember the best is yet to come. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And you know, how bad can life be when we know paradise is right around the corner? Right? I see some Christians walking around and they're sour pusses and they look like they've been just chewing on lemons or something. And whoa, woe is me kind of thing. And I'm going, hey, you know where you're going when you die if you're a Christian? Quit the frowning and start smiling again. You're too, too blessed to be depressed, man. You're going to heaven. Keep the eternal perspective that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amazing. Paul said to the Corinthians also, he said, hey, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Man. He's got so much, it's going to blow our minds. We're going to short circuit when we get to heaven and see all the glories that are going to be around the corner. And so we need to keep this perspective that our ultimate destiny is heaven and it will help us to have joy no matter what our circumstances are. Well, another one of my heroes, his name is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was married to Elizabeth Elliott, who's just a great woman of God also. But they, along with like three or four other couples, graduated from Wheaton College in their 20s. They were called to this Indian tribe in South America that was savage, barbaric. And they were called to witness to them. So the husbands started flying this airplane over these savages and dropping gifts down to them and started dropping Bibles down to them and stuff. And then finally they felt it was time for them to land the plane and witness to these barbaric, savage Indian tribe. And the Indian tribe didn't know what was going on. This thing was dropping out of the sky, the airplane, the, you know, and they thought it was enemies. So they killed Jim Elliott and his two or three other missionaries with him and sent their bodies down the river after they killed him and their wives were, were faced with that. And then afterwards, um, Elizabeth Elliott, in the midst of that, um, in the midst of that circumstance, she stayed with some of the other wives and continued to witness to the tribe and led one of the main murderers of that tribe to Christ 
And much of that tribe came to Christ because they stayed in those circumstances with joy, continued to witness to the people that killed their husbands. And then she took her husband's journals and she wrote a book, a great read. If you ever want to read a great book, read the journals of Jim Elliott before he was martyred in his 20s. It's called The Shadow of the Almighty. And in this book, he has one of my favorite quotes. Jim Elliott, right before he's martyred, wrote this in his journal. It says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you see the eternal perspective there? The eternal perspective is this. That, hey, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Now, again, you can't say the second part unless you say the first part. If you're saying the first part, for me to live is stuff, what is a profit of man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? If you're saying, for me to live is uh, uh, success, it doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. No, God wants us to work hard. God wants us to do our best, whatever we do to be a witness for Christ, but that can't be your God. Jesus said we're supposed to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness first, and then all these other things shall be added on to us. Some people, be honest with you, some people say, hey, for me to live is my kids. And we should be family-oriented. Family should be first. That's our first human relationships. Family's important. But we can't put our family on the altar of worship either. Because, by the way, the more you put God and his kingdom first in your life, the better family person you'll be anyways. And God will bless you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and have this attitude for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And way too often I see even Christians, (laughs) they're working way too hard at all this other stuff and not the kingdom stuff. There's no priority on the kingdom and their growth in Christ. And they're working way too hard to buy stuff they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. That's quotable, isn't it? And it's true. We gotta stop that and have the attitude of Paul that says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. One of the most godly men I've ever known was Heidi's dad, Dad Wildstra. Dad Wildstra owned a meat market, Orange City, Iowa. That's one of my, you wanna get on my wife's good side, buy her some good steaks. I've learned to become really good at grilling because it gets me some brownie points, man. But her dad owned a meat market in Northwest Iowa. And he was a man of God. He used to get in trouble. He'd, he'd get tickets, or he, he got a ticket one time because he was riding in his car in the country roads and he's singing hymns so loud he t- lost total track of how fast he was going. And he, he was singing hymns. But he, I remember uh, Dad Wildster, just godly example to me. I loved just spending time with him because he was a man of God that loved God. He, he was living for Christ. But I also remember, um, it's probably 20, year, 20 plus years ago, going home for Thanksgiving. He had just overcome this whole thing with prostate cancer. He had a headache. It's Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, he had to go back and get checked again with the prostate cancer and everything. And they had found that he had bone cancer and brain cancer. Remember Heidi, me staying home with our little kids at the time in Wisconsin. I was in Wisconsin, and Heidi was rushing back to Iowa. And um, he wasn't in a good situation. The, the cancer had gotten into his bones and his brain. And I remember Heidi telling me that she visited with her brother Earl, Dad Wildstra. He's in the hospital. And he had, he had found out from the doctors he had brain and bone cancer now. And she could tell that he had just let it go. And then within probably a week of that, he went to be with the Lord at 64 years old. But you know what? I think that Dad Wildstra had such a strong walk with God, such a strong 
personality too, that when he had heard that he had brain and bone cancer, just like Jesus said, into thy hands I commit thy spirit, and gave up his spirit. I think Dad Wouter just, I don't know how death works, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but I think he just gave it up and said, I want to go home now. I don't want to put my family through months or years of brain and bone cancer. And he just, in his will, said, time to, time to go home. Because, you know, Dad Wouter, he lived for Christ. And so he knew, that, hey, let, me, let the spirit go. Let me go heaven right now. I'm departing right now. Pulling up the tent stakes right now. Taking the anchor out and time to go sail out to the high seas of heaven. For me to live as Christ. To die is gain. And that brings joy no matter what your circumstances are. Now let's, let's close our scripture now this morning. And then after he talks about this, he says, verse 27, only conduct, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too is from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which, which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now Paul's talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. And here's what's going on. The Roman Empire at this time had already started their persecution of Christians. Again, the Caesar at the time was Nero. And Nero had enacted Caesar worship. And what he was causing the whole kingdom of the Roman Empire is to publicly acknowledge Caesar is Lord. And if they took Christians and put them on the spot, they'd say, don't say Jesus is Lord, say Caesar is Lord. And many of the Christians at that point were saying, no, we can't say that because Jesus is Lord. And that's when uh, Nero started the persecution of uh, amphitheaters, throwing Christians out with the lions, uh, causing them to be martyred left and right. So Paul says this suffering now has come to the Roman Empire, and you're experiencing what I'm experiencing with persecution. And what does Paul tell them to do as Christians in the midst of the circumstances of persecution? He says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in striving together for this gospel. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep pressing on with this gospel of Jesus Christ and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of your name, which is Christian. The word conduct has two, two different really definitions. The word conduct is axiom in the Greek, and it's, it's, it's a weight. And what it's saying, when it says conduct itself, it's saying have the weight of your message equal with the weight of your conduct. Have your conduct be equally weighty along with what you say you are as a Christian follower of Jesus Christ. That's a word for us as Christians in the 21st century, isn't it? That's not all be all talk, talk, talk. Let's be walk, amen? Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of this gospel of Christ. But the word conduct also is an interesting word because it says it's a word for representation. It's a word to represent where you're from. And these people in Philippi, many of them were Roman citizens, and they're representing Rome. And Paul's saying, just as you want to represent Rome well in Philippi, this Roman colony, you now are citizens of another place. The place is called heaven. You represent heaven well in, the, in this foreign place called the world. Paul's going to go on in Philippians chapter 3 to put it this way. Uh, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state 
into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Where is our citizenship ultimately? Is it here on earth? Where's it at? Who do we ultimately represent? Heaven and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the place we represent, which is heaven. And that's, that's, that's the last principle I want to give you this morning is in no matter what your circumstances are, remember, have an attitude that you represent. Amen? Have an attitude you represent a name, and the name is Christ. And have an attitude that no matter what life throws at you, you're going to represent Christ well, and not only represent him well, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, but also you're going to keep striving together in unity with other Christians for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why that's important? Church, listen to me on this. You know why that's important? Because the devil's goal when circumstances are tough is to get you to retreat and backslide and go back to the world and say, hey, God's not doing life the way I want him to do life for me right now. So I'm just going to go back to the way it was before Christ. And that's the worst thing you could do. One of my life verses, again, is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord. It's not in vain. And, you know, it's some, and God's speaking to some of you here this morning. And you're on the, you're on the fence. You're, being, you're, you're, you're playing with things in the world because life's not the way you want it to be, so you're looking for pleasure or other stuff, sin, to satisfy because your circumstances aren't the way you want it to be. Stop, stop, stop. Get back to seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things unto you. You want more joy? Joy is found in living for Christ wholeheartedly because you're not gonna have joy to have one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. You're going to have too much of the world to enjoy Jesus. You're going to have too much of Jesus to enjoy the world. It's not the way. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep striving together for this gospel. Don't give up and don't give in. One of my role models in this for me is a guy by the name of John Corson. We've got his commentaries over here. He's one of the best Bible teachers we have in Calvary Chapel Movement. He's an amazing man of God. When he was in his 20s, he was starting a church in Oregon, Applegate Valley Church. It's a Calvary Chapel, but he calls it Applegate Valley. His wife was driving home from church through the mountainous roads of Oregon. She had a black piece of ice, ran off the road and hit a tree and died. And they had the little preschool kids. John Corson, passionate this booming, growing church in Oregon, was now a single dad with little preschool kids. Did he give up? I kept building church, kept teaching the word, kept telling people about Jesus and raising his kids. And he got remarried to a lady named Tammy, and God blessed the church, even in the midst of his crisis of losing his wife, his first wife. Then his kids started growing older. His kids got to be, his daughter got to be a teenager. So I think she was his oldest kid, a 16-year-old teenager, and she's driving home from a prayer meeting, hits the same road Black piece of ice goes off the road, and his 16-year-old daughter dies. Same road that the wife died on. Did John Corson give up? Did he stop striving together for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did he say, forget it, 
doing God's will here, starting a church, and now my daughter, 16 years. No, he kept teaching the word of God and making disciples all over the world through his worldwide teaching and his commentaries that hundreds of Calvary Chapel pastors use around the world. And just recently, his son, who is a pastor, also Peter John Corson, he struggled for 20 years with Crohn's disease, and then the Crohn's disease went into um, colon cancer, and his 42, I think a 42-year-old son just died of colon cancer. Can you imagine? But you know what John Corson's done through this whole thing? He still has the joy of the Lord. He's still representing Christ well. I read a whole thing after his son Peter John died of this colon cancer, and he said, boy, he was jealous of Peter John because he knew Peter John was wholeheartedly living for Christ, and he said, Peter John's in a place I want to be right now. And he's got the joy of the Lord in the midst of losing his 42-year-old son because he's knowing to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? Amen? So how can we have joy even when life's a pain? So four things this morning. Let's close with it this morning. Number one, number one, would we joy in the midst of circumstances if we trust in God's purposes and plans, no matter what they are, we trust that God's got a purpose, a future and a hope. He's working all things out for his good, for our future and our hope. He's causing all things to work together for good. Number two, be a God pleaser and not what? Doesn't matter if people are criticizing you. You're not living for man. You're living for the approval of God. Number three, remember your ultimate destiny is where? Heaven. Christ in you is what? Hope of glory, man. And number four, we saw this morning, have an attitude that no matter what life throws you, you're going to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're going to keep striving together with other Christians for the advancement of the kingdom, because that's your purpose, and that you're called to be witnesses no matter what your circumstances are. And if you do that, you'll have more joy. Now, close the service this morning. If you can't honestly say, for me to live is Christ, you can't honestly say, to die is gain either. And there might be some here this morning that need to get this right. You need to say in, in your heart, Christ, come into my heart, forgive my sin. The Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. But the Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says that if you want to be in this camp of people that say, I'm living for Christ, you've got to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And my question is, have you done that? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus as your personal Lord, and have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Is there a time in your life where you know you open your heart, and you said, Jesus, come in, forgive my sin, I admit I need you. Be my Savior, be my Lord. If you haven't done that yet, do it today. And then you could say honestly, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the way that you teach us through your word so practically, Lord. You give us these truths of how to have, no matter what our circumstances are, how to have joy in the midst of those circumstances, Lord. And Father, I pray that we'd get back to being people that are applying these principles. I pray that we'd be people that trust ultimately in your purposes and plan for our lives. I pray that no matter what life throws us, we're going to trust. You're going to cause all things to work together for the good, Lord. Father, I pray too that we'd be like Paul that says, so what if there's other people out there that are criticizing us, Lord, because we're not living for the approval of man. We're living for the approval of you, God. Our ambition in life is to please you, not, not man. 
And Father, I pray too that we would be people that live this out of remembering that when, especially when life is tough, that our ultimate destiny isn't here. Our home is heaven. And Christ in us, Christ in us is the hope of glory, Father. And Father, I pray too that we'd be people that have an attitude of um, standing firm, that we're going to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we just thank you that you're, you help us with this. You help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be all that you want us to be. And so, Father, I pray that you would just continue to give us that steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord's Spirit, Lord. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to change the direction of their life. Their life has been about stuff or people or success or career, and they need to get to this point of saying, no, my life now needs to be about Christ, for me to live as Christ. If you're here this morning and you sense that God might be um, knocking on the door of your heart and you never really for sure know that there's been a time in your life you confess Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do is, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me, because I want to confess Jesus as my Lord. I want to have this joy that comes from saying, for me to live as Christ. So if you're here this morning, you want me to pray for you, just to pray that simple prayer. It's called a sinner's prayer where you just trust Christ to be your Savior and be your Lord. Just raise your hand right now. I'll pray for you. And I'd love to do that. Praise the Lord. Right back here in the middle. Praise the Lord. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you. Right here in the middle also. Right here on the side. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I'd love to pray for you this morning. Christ is knocking on the door of your heart. Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you just in one second. Keep your hands raised. Praise the Lord. Okay, here's what I want you to do. If you have your hand raised, I'm going to pray for you right now. I want you to stand up right now. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray just a simple prayer for you. Just stand up right now and be bold. Christ died for you publicly. You could stand for Christ. Praise the Lord. Just pray this prayer right now. And a church, you could pray it with these people that are standing. Pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, pray, pray, pray with me. People are standing. Lord Jesus. I admit I'm a sinner. I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I confess with my mouth, Jesus, your Lord. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.